What's up, church? So good to be with you here tonight. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to come and share with you tonight a word that has been put on my heart by God and just be able to share with you in this time. I feel like it's very a very timely word and I'm just so happy to be able to be here tonight with you to share it. So without further ado, we are going to get into it. So the title for tonight, for all those that like to you know, get your notes out, get your notebooks out, write down your headers, you know, for the title. And here it is. I'm going to share it with you. So the title for tonight is The Preparation for Your Purpose. Oh, so good. I'm going to say it again. The Preparation for Your Purpose. So it is a very, I feel like it is a timely word and I'm going to just unpack it with you guys tonight. And I have two points that I want to share with tonight. So the first point is, you know, I want to be talking about the power preparation, how we can prepare for our purpose, the purpose that God has for us. But also the second point is how God is preparing us for that. And so firstly, to understand or and unpack how to prepare for our purpose, I want to unpack the word preparation. So the word preparation means the state of being ready for something that will happen or an action taken to become ready. And I want to get that last part in, an action taken to become ready. I think that's, that's key. You know, it is an action taken to become ready. And I'm going to, you know, get into it, get into the word and the first part, uh, passage I want us to turn to is in Philippians 3, 12 to 14. And it says, let us turn there. So verse 12, it says, not that I have already obtained all this. So this is Paul speaking. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ just took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Verse 14, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So I started off with this verse because I think it's so powerful. You know, it's Paul and he's talking about, you know, his purpose and his future that God is calling him to. And I think the keys in this is to really pick up on is saying, you know, that he hasn't arrived yet or it is a progress that he is preparing, that he is moving forward. But he says that he is not looking back. He's forgotten the past. He's not lingering in the past anymore, but he is looking forward, moving forward for the goal, for the purpose that God has for him. And I think that is key. You know, it's the perspective and mind changing that we have to prepare for. And that is what we have to get in focus for, for what God has for us. That we have to be ready for when he does call us. That we aren't focused in, you know, our past, but we use that as our t- adds on to our testimony. We use that to be able to push forward and move forward in what God has for us. The second verse I want to look at tonight is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 to 27. So if you guys turn to that with me, it is right here. So this is probably, I would say, one of my favorite verses, only because 
I have used it a lot in my life and is very personal and especially with the title of it. So it's the need for self-discipline. And I think that's key with preparation, especially for our purpose is self-discipline. And that's something that I think we all need to have just in our daily lives. So let's unpack this. So it says, verse 24, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. I think that's a key right there. And that is what I want you guys to pick up on, write down, highlight, star, you know, strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. So after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So I like this verse so much and I think it adds on to the whole title of this conversation of this word, you know, the preparation for your purpose, preparation being key at this first part, that a way to be prepared and get prepared for what God has for us goes into it is strict training. You know, it is strict training that we go into. When you prepare for things, you follow a routine it is in a preparation and I think it is key that we take it in and these are keys to be able to hold on to is discipline, self-discipline, strict training. And I think that's just so powerful. So carrying on, I want to go to another verse now. It is in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. And it says, Physical training is good, but, and there's a but, you know when there's a but in like a, always a passage, you know, it's going to be good next. So it says, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. You know, I love that. I love how it says, physical training is good. So to train physically, you know, if uh, you have footballers and, you know, they have to train and they train physically and you know, it's, it's training on the training days that they've been given, training days that they train with the team, but also training on their own. They do their own training. They train themselves. And I think this is key in this passage for us as believers, for us as a church to really pick up on. And it says, you know, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. The word godliness, I want to pick up on as well. You know, the word godliness only appears a few times in the New Testament, yet the entire Bible, you know, the, the word godliness shows up. It is godliness. That is the book, godliness. You know, whenever Paul wants to distill the essence of a Christian life into one paragraph, you know what word he uses? Godliness. You know, the term godliness means confirming to the laws and wishes of God, following God, living Christ-like. And I think that's so powerful. And that's what I want to look at. It says physical training is good. So preparing physical training is good for your future. 
for what job you're in, what God has you in store for. Yes, physical training is good. But training, so preparing for godliness is much better. You know, putting God first above it all. You know, God and you, you grow your faith and your relationship with God. And then you prepare for your future under that for physically for if you were uh, an athlete, you would prepare for that. You would train. If you have a job um, that needs to go to university, that is physical training because you are studying, you are preparing. But it says training and preparing for godliness is much better because it's putting God first and moving forward in that. And then the second part, it says promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. No, it doesn't say flip a coin. You know, you do all this preparing for your purpose. You do all this and then you flip a coin and then it's a 50-50 whether you get it or not. No, it is promising benefits. So when you put God first, when you prepare for your future with God first, when you prepare through training, you get it's promising these benefits because you have put in that hard work. You have prepared for what is to come. You have been disciplined in these areas. And I think that is key. And it says benefits in this life, in the life we're living right now, but also benefits in the life to come. We, we are all in heaven. It says, you know, that it is the life to come. And I love that. That God just doesn't see it now and then forgets about it later. No, God sees all the work that we put in, the preparation that we put in. And I think that is so powerful and I think that's awesome. You know, to train for godliness or to prepare for it doesn't just mean that we say we let the pastor train us just on a Sunday and then the rest of the week is fine. We don't need to do any of that. And then we wait till next Sunday to be to be prepared and trained. No, we can't leave that just to our pastor to be able to do for us. You know, why is it that as believers, we can sometimes think that just having it on the Sunday is enough? When did it become just enough? We should be yearning and wanting to grow more in our faith, to prepare more for what is to come. So that when God does call us, when he does call us into our purpose that he has for us, we're able to be like, yeah, Father, I am ready. I am ready to go because I have been preparing this whole time. That when he calls you into that job or when he calls you into that line of ministry that you've been preparing for or you have built your faith and your trust with God so much that when he calls you into something that maybe you may have not been ready for, but you are prepared for it. You can go into it knowing that he has prepared you for it and that you have prepared for it yourself, that you have disciplined yourself, that you have undergone strict training. And I think that is key. And I just love that so much. So I've talked about preparing for your purpose, for training, you know, not just leaving on a Sunday, but making it a lifestyle, making it, you know, a missional habit to do. And I think that is key. And I think we should be able to integrate that into our lives. And so moving forward, I want to now look into my next point that I'm going, my second point that I'm going to be getting into of the word tonight. 
And that is, how is God preparing us in this time? Or how has he prepared us when we look back and we can see that? And so I'm going to be talking about a character in the Bible. All of you are very familiar with him. You know, he's a very well-known, famous character that, did you know that the more, there has been more written about him than any other character in the Bible? You know, it's 66 chapters, in fact, are dedicated to him. And that's just in the Old Testament. And this man that I'm talking about is King David. Now, obviously, I'm going to be looking at him when he was just David, when from younger, and I'm going to be unpacking the story of him because I think it's key to look into his life because you're going to be able to then see how much God prepared him, how much God saw in him for his future of being a king. So I'm so prepared, so ready to get into it. So let's look at the story of David. Now, I want us to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. So if we can all turn there. All right, so I'm just going to give a brief sort of explanation. So David, you know, he's the youngest of eight sons. He was a shepherd. Now that part there, he was a shepherd. I think we can tend to overlook that. And I sure overlooked that, you know, in the sense of, oh, being a shepherd, he wasn't that much. But when you actually look at it, being a shepherd, you know, he was the youngest one and his father had so much trust in him to look after the flock of sheep. Had so much trust in him to look after that, even though being the youngest one, the only one to look after that. And if you actually think about it, if you actually look into it, God had him there because he was training him to be a king, someone that was a leader who looked after a flock. And God already had him started out early. And I reckon that's key as well. Him being a shepherd is the basis for him growing up. And God knew that. And God used a job that a lot of people may have looked back on and thought, oh, you know, being a shepherd, I probably wouldn't have chosen it. But God used that to then magnify him even more, to glorify God even more, because it is crazy how much God did for David. So I want to ask this question. How many times have we thought that the situation we are in isn't benefiting our future? Because if you look at David, he was a shepherd, you know, and at this point in his life, he's young, he's probably thinking, you know, like, oh, there's not much that I've got in store for me. It's just, you know, being a shepherd, I'm going to look after these sheep, I'm the youngest. You know, that's all right. That's just my life. You can't really see too far ahead. But little did he know that God had so much more in store for him. And it is crazy how much God is just looking after him, watching over him. So I want to put in right there quickly, I'm going to put a little pin in that. We're going to leave it just for a few seconds, just on David, because I want to talk about his age for a second. So he was young. He was the youngest, yes. And God has a purpose for us all. And God instilled, you know, was preparing David at such a young age to be a king. But, and I'm saying a but, it doesn't mean that God isn't 
you know, if you're older, say you're 20, 30, 40, 60, however old you are, God still has a purpose for you. He can still use you no matter what your age is. Do you know how old Moses was when God met him in the burning bush? Do you know how old? He was 80 years old. Now I tell you what, if I was 80 years old and God came to me, appeared to me in a bush and a fiery bush and he told me, no, oh, I need you to free your people, my people from slavery. And I was 80 and God told me to do that. Well, I would be bent over. I would have like a, a walking cane, maybe some crutches, like teeth falling out, just like, all right, like walking us slowly. You know, he was 80 and he did this. So age does not matter. God can use whatever age you're at to work in glory for him. And I think that is so incredible. So I'm getting that pin back again. We're bringing it back in. So back onto the story of David. So we're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. And this is sort of getting into the story of David. And this is when the Israelites had their king, who was King Saul. And he was a bit of a king that at this point had led his people sort of astray. He's led them away from God. He's sort of sinned and went away from God and God isn't wanting him as king anymore because he's not benefiting for anyone else. And so God meets with Samuel and tells him, he says, I need you basically to find a new king. And so we're going to pick up in uh, verse 1 of chapter 16, and we're going to read it from here. And we're going to unpack it as we go along. So the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? since I have rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So right there, God's told Samuel, you know, I've I've chosen one of his sons to be king. I need you to go. I need you to anoint him. And Samuel's not like, oh, maybe not. I'm I'm good, thanks. You can, no, can we do it in a bit? No, he's obedient. He goes. So, I want to jump now to verse 6. And it's talking about when Samuel arrived in Bethlehem at Jesse's place. So when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The look does not... The Lord, sorry, does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. All right. So I think that is so good. You know, God's talking about, you know, look, I have, you're going to need to choose a king out of these sons. So Samuel's there. He goes in. He sees the first son, Eliab, and you know, he sees him and he's probably like, oh, this guy is like, look at him, he's hench, he's big, he's, it looks like he's been lifting sheep since he was like five, he's massive, you know, he'd jawline, perfect, lovely beard, nice and groomed, he's got like the haircut, like this guy's got it going for him, you know, I think he's going to be perfect as king because face it, like I would have probably done the same thing, you know, as humans, we tend to look on the outside for people to fill certain roles. 
And I love that so much how in verse 7, it says, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outer appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So God's looking at the heart and he says, you know, this isn't the king right now that I'm wanting. So let's go on to verse 8. It says, then Jesse called Abed, Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Verse 9, Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Verse 10, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So seven of Jesse's sons have gone in front of Samuel. And it's not like each one has come and then the Lord's been like, mm, oh, let me think about it. Uh, nah, maybe not. We, we might like, we'll keep him to the side. He's like a second guess. No. God knew exactly what he was doing. It didn't take him like a few minutes to decide. No, he said, no, this is not the one. This is not the one. And Samuel obeyed. So let's carry on. We're up to verse 11. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So Samuel is very adamant because he knows God said one of these sons will be kings. So Samuel's like, okay, well, it's not the seven, so it has to be this one. So we are up to verse 12. It said, so he sent for him and, he, and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Verse 13, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. I think that is amazing. So this young boy that was a shepherd, he has seven older brothers that probably might have looked better, probably bigger than him. But yet God saw in him and knew in him that he could be an amazing king. And so he anointed him. So God started him out there. So next, I want to go on to the, we're up to now, I want to jump over to uh, verse 14. So this is David and Saul's service. So basically, this is King Saul. He's been sort of tormented by an evil spirit. And he's basically wanting someone to play an instrument called a lyre, which is like a, a U-shaped harp, like a string, like it's pretty small. And he's wanting him to play the lyre basically to basically just relieve him of this pain that he has, this torment that he has. So there's a servant and he's like, oh, yeah, I know this kid. I know this young gentleman that uh, his name is David. He knows he's a shepherd, but he also knows how to play very well. So, so I was like, send for him. I want him here. So Jesse, which is David's father, you know, gives him you no know, food, gives him bread and skin of wine and a young goat and sent them with his son, David, to Saul. So we're going to jump on to verse 21. So it says, David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much and David became one of his armor bearers. So <laughs> how crazy is that? That's what I want to pick up on. So this young man, 
has gone from being a shepherd straight away, jumped straight over to being an armor bearer for a king. Now, if you guys don't know what an armor bearer is, it is someone who carried armor for a king, but it also means those who protected leaders during the heat of spiritual conflict, which is what you know King Saul is going through right now. He's being tormented by an evil spirit. So, you know, he went from being the youngest and looking after his father's flock to being a king's armor bearer. And David has gotten this far just by listening and serving. And I think that is like so powerful, so key. So next, I want to quickly jump into the next part that I want to get into, which is the next part of David's story, which is I'm pretty sure you guys can guess it, David and Goliath. Now, this is the main tipping point for David, I would have to say. I reckon this right here is where God used him being a shepherd. And that's where it has transferred over. And I reckon it's so good because I didn't really pick up on it when I probably first read this until I was I got this timely word, you know, the preparation for your purpose. Until I got this word and then I realized, oh my goodness, like God was actually, he was preparing David all along for this. And so basically, there's a Philistine named Goliath. He is a giant. He's a big boy. He's massive, fully armored up. And so basically what it is, is he wants to fight the Israelites' best fighter. If we go to, um, it is uh, chapter 17. If we go to verse 8 and 9 or 8 to 9, it says, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? I am not a Philistine. Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. Verse 9. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. I tell you what. That is an ultimatum. That's not like flicking a coin or just doing like a little bet and then like, oh, you might lose like 10 pounds. No, it is life or death. And no one wants to do it. You know, it's funny, in verse 16, for 40 days a Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. So for 40 days, nothing happened. No one was doing anything. And then Jesse, David's father, said, I need you to go basically to the front line where Goliath is because Saul's there and Jesse's three eldest sons went to war with Saul. And so Jesse sort of wants to get, send them a bit of food and also wants to hear sort of how they're doing and a bit about them. So David's like, yeah, no worries. I can go. I can do that. Takes the food. He's going and talking with them. And he finds out everyone is scared of Goliath. No one wants to face him. But he finds out that there is this huge reward with riches that if you take down Goliath. Now, at this point, you're probably all thinking, and I was probably all, I was thinking the exact same, you know, how has David been prepared for this moment? He's a shepherd. It's he, unless he was like fighting giants 24-7, I'd be like, yeah, this man knows what he's doing. No, he was a shepherd. But we are going to go to verse 32 and we will explain it all. So verse 32 says, 
David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. So straight away, David's like, oh yeah, I got this. I can, I can fight this Philistine, this giant Saul. Saul replied, verse 33, you are not able to go, against, go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man and he has been a warrior for his youth. But I love this part. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. So right there he says, oh yeah, I've been a shepherd. And Saul's probably thinking, yeah, and you just tend to sheep. But get this, when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Verse 36, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. All right, you know what? Being a shepherd back in the day, if that meant I had to fight, you know, bears and lions, count me out because there should be a disclaimer for that. The fact that David was looking after sheep, he's a shepherd, and then, you know, he's basically... His, these lions, this line of bears come, you know, taking the sheep. Imagine him. He's gone after it, got the sheep back, stolen it. And then he's saying that then these lions have come back at me. I tell you what, if a lion decides I wouldn't go after one, but if I did and I got the sheep back and then it turned on me, I would be the fastest man in the world. You would not see me run any quicker than I would then. I would sheep up in the arm just, I would be gone. But no, David... Lion turns back at him. He's like, oh, let him put the sheep down. Puts the sheep down. Says, smack, strikes it down. He hits it, grabs it by the hair, smacks it and kills it. Like, what is, what? That makes no sense. But what I am trying to get at is God prepared him for his purpose. From being a shepherd, he faced these trials with a bear, a lion taking his sheep. He was being a leader and he fought for them. And then God prepared him for this moment when he had to go up against Goliath and he chose to because he knew that God had prepared him for it. That God had prepared him to face Goliath. And that is the key that I want to pick up tonight. That the preparation for your purpose may seem hard at times. You may not know what your purpose is yet, but like David, God is working in you, preparing you. You may be in a situation right now, the season that we are in with COVID, with everything that is going on, and you may be thinking, this season that I'm in is waiting, but maybe God has you in this waiting in this moment to be preparing you for your purpose in this next coming season. And that is what I want you guys to hold on to tonight, to prepare for your purpose. But also that God is preparing you. He is with you. He has never forsaken you. Now, I want to look at a few passages. It says in Jeremiah 29 verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and hope. He has plans. He has a purpose for you. Proverbs 16 verse 4, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. You know, it says the Lord has made everything for its purpose. Everyone has a purpose. You have a purpose. 
Don't feel like you're left out. God has a purpose for you. And if you can't see it yet, that is all right. You need to trust God, trust Him and know that His purpose that He has for you is going to be incredible. There is a very, it's a famous quote by Mark Twain. It's probably one of my favorite ones. And it says, the second most, the two most, sorry, the two most important days of your life are when you're born and the day you find out why. And I think as Christians, that is crucial for us because we know why. Not in the sense of a future is in like a job. We may not know a, like a job as yet, but our purpose, you know, to serve God and to save souls and to spread the gospel in everything that we do in our future jobs, in, in our life, it is our lifestyle. And I think you can have a smile on your face and have a joy-filled heart knowing that our God has a purpose for us and that we aren't alone. And I think that's just incredible. So as I am coming to a close tonight, I want to just, I want to pray for you guys. I want to first lead you guys, if there's anyone that's watching this now or watching it later, that they're thinking, oh, I want to know who this God is that you're talking about. Or I want to know Jesus. I want to have a relationship with him. I don't want to keep living this life. I want a purpose. I want to be filled up. If that is you, I want to lead you in a prayer right now. And then also, I'm going to pray afterwards. And I'm just going to pray over what I've spoken about tonight and pray over just everyone that is watching tonight or going to watch whenever you watch it. I want to pray over you guys. So I want to lead you in a prayer. And so if you follow after me, and maybe if you want to hold your hand on your heart, that'll be perfect. So God, I am sorry for all I have done wrong in my life. Please forgive me of my past mistakes. Thank you for loving me and sending your son Jesus to die for me so that I can have freedom and a fresh start. Please come into my life. Help me grow in my relationship with you. I choose to follow the path you have for me. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that prayer, that is amazing, that is wonderful. And you guys just get in contact with the church office. Chat team will be putting in the link into the chat or just get in contact with City Life Church online. You can type it in and it'll come up. And then I'm just going to quickly pray over tonight and then that'll be the close and we'll hand back. So, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you that we were able just to sit here, sit in your presence. And I pray, Lord, that whoever is watching this, I pray that whenever they do watch this, if it is tonight or if it is at a later date, that you'll just speak to them, Lord. That you'll speak to them and show them that they do have a purpose. That you are filling them with a purpose. That you are preparing them for what is to come next. And the season that we are in, that you just prepare us in this season right now. The season of waiting and trusting you, Lord. I thank you for all that you're doing in this season. And I pray that you just watch over us as we 
move forward in your name, Father, I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening. I enjoyed it and I will see you guys later.